Tonight we look at the future restoration of the earth as in keeping with the believer's hope. There is much to be learned about the earth's future restoration as we look at the future restoration of mankind. And then, conversely, there is a great deal to learn about the future restoration of mankind as we look at the future restoration of the earth. God is at work redeeming all of his creation, not just mankind, but all of his creation. That's what we want to emphasize tonight. As in the first Adam, all of creation was affected, so too in the coming of the second Adam, all of creation is affected. Key verse is Romans 8, 19 and 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The theme is the future restoration of the earth is a part of Christ's great redemptive work. Number one, even creation itself is longing for the day that is coming in which it will be free from the curse in association with God's redemption. So there is a, a uh, metaphor here that is giving to the earth a personification, as though the earth could speak. And if the earth could speak, it would be groaning, it would be longing for the time of its restoration. Creation is standing on tiptoes, looking for the future restoration. That's the way J.B. Phillips translates this particular verse, and uh, I, I find that to be very helpful. Uh, creation is on tiptoes, looking for the future restoration, just peering, longing. I can't wait for it to come. Uh, Likened unto perhaps gathering along a street and waiting for a parade to come. And you might be peering and looking in anticipation, waiting for that parade to pass by. Quite a few years ago, uh, I remember uh, when Julius Irving, some of you will remember that name, was a basketball player that played for the 76ers. Uh, it was a big star a number of years ago. And uh, it just so happened that I was in the Vanity Fair region of Reading when he was supposed to appear at a sporting goods store opening. And there was this huge crowd that was gathered around the uh, sporting goods store. And so I went up to someone and I said, well, what, what's going on? And they said, well, Julius Irving is coming. Well, I was a big Julius Irving fan. And uh, so I decided to wait and look for Julius Irving. And uh, the crowd was, was large and somehow I managed to get in to the back of the store, and I was just standing there in the, in the very back uh, of the uh, sporting goods store waiting for Michael Irvin to show up. And everybody's training and looking, and they're saying, Are they, is he here yet? And they'd be whispering through the crowd. And all of a sudden, the back door opens, and they usher Julius Irving in. And uh, he's trying to make his way, and he's standing shoulder to shoulder with me, and I was able to look at him. Now, this is an aside. This doesn't mean anything. But uh, he was quite the basketball player. And the shocking thing to me is Julius Irving was always listed at 6'6". And uh, 
When I stood next to him, I could look him in the eye. He was probably 6'3". They inflated the numbers, which gives you just some sense of how he could really jump. But anyway, uh, everybody was cramming their neck in order to see Julius Irving. There was this expectation. They wanted to see him. And that is the picture of creation, that it's just craning its neck, waiting, looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. B, the future restoration will take place in association. Now there's some words missing here. Sorry. The future restoration will take place in association with Christ's great redemptive work accomplished for mankind. We aren't going to accomplish this restoration. It is the great work of Jesus Christ in association with his work for mankind. For notice Romans 8.19 says, For the anxious long creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. When there is this great transformation of the people of God, there will also be a great transformation of the earth. That goes hand in hand. It's all part of one great design, one great purpose of God. That his design and purpose for all of creation, when he made it and said it is good, is going to be absolutely 100% fulfilled in the future. Second, presently, creation is frustrated in fulfilling its purpose. Notice Romans 8.20, For the creation was subjected to futility. NIV translates it, The creation was subjected to frustration. The earth is not able to produce fruit, which was originally intended due to the curse incurred by mankind. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you should not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. That was not a part of the original creation. That was not a part of God's original design. That there would be thorns. That there would be thistles. That there would be weeds. That this earth would be corrupted. It would decay. Pollution. All of those elements were never a part of the original design for creation. They are a product of the fall of mankind. When sin entered this world, it affected everything. And it affected creation itself. So that creation became frustrated in being able to accomplish its purpose. As I said, we can learn a great deal about our relationship with God as we look at creation... And we can learn a lot about creation as we look about our relationship to God. But it helps us to understand what it means to abide under the curse at this present time. This frustration came not at the choice of creation. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. This was not the fault of creation. This was not the fault of the earth. If you notice... In the above quotation in Genesis 3.17, Cursed is the ground because of you. This was introduced by mankind, not by its own choice. And the frustration is a result of the curse placed on it by God. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it. And so that is God. God subjected this earth. God subjected it to the curse. God subjected it to all of its shortcomings, all of its misery, all of its frustration. However, there is reason for great encouragement in the midst of the frustration. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of God who subjected it, and then these words, in hope. And it is that hope for which the creation is longing. It is that hope that creation stands on its tiptoes and is looking forward to. A time in which the curse will be removed. And so we who are a part of the creation are longing for that time, that that future time. And it helps us to understand the present day and age that we live. We live in a period of time that we abide under the curse. That's why we die. That's why we grow old. That's why we have aches and pains. We need to understand that the future deliverance is just that. It's future. And we long for that. We desire it greatly. Third, creation will share in the fruits of the redemptive work of Christ. All of creation will share in the fruits of the redemptive work of Christ. Notice verse 21. That the creation itself, the creation itself, B, creation is a slave to sin, just as a mankind is slave to sin. The creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption. In Romans 7.14, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We are slaves under the corruption of sin. The exact same language is used to speak of this creation. It, too, is a slave to sin. It, too, is experiencing the corruption of sin. And so the creation itself, according to Romans 8.21, will be set free from that slavery, just as you and I are set free, just as we are delivered from the curse, just as we are redeemed, just as we are restored, just as we are transformed, so will be all of creation. Thirdly, creation will be set free from its corruption, just as the child of God is set free from his corruption. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom that it's speaking of is the same freedom that the children of God experience. That same glory, that same glorious state, that same glorious work of God. Everything is looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which he will restore all of creation. Four, just as the believer groans, longs, and suffers in this age, waiting for deliverance, so too the creation grows, longs, and suffers in this age, waiting for deliverance. All of creation, not just mankind, needs deliverance from the curse of sin. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers. There is suffering in this present age that is shared by all of creation until the new age comes. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
So right up until this present day, all of creation, every part of it, including ourselves, every part of creation is groaning, groaning, suffering under these pains of childbirth. And that metaphor, the pains of childbirth, is found numerous times in the Word of God. It's talking about the the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it likens it unto a pregnant woman who is going through pains of childbirth, but is longing for deliverance in that time in which the baby is born. So too, we are going through pains of childbirth until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And then everything will be different. C, we along with creation are looking forward to the setting free of corruption that will occur when our bodies are resurrected. Romans 8.23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. And then it tells us what that means, the redemption of the body. The resurrection. The transformation of this body that we spoke of last week. I'll unpack more of that in just a few moments. The great hope of redemption is a future hope. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for that which we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And so we are having this great hope, this future restoration. Six. The great hope of all creation is the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. The scripture speaks repeatedly of the new heavens and new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things should not be remembered or come to mind. For just as the new heavens and new earth, which I make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. So notice that there is a parallel drawn. Just as you will endure... So will the new heavens and new earth endure. That's a very important clue in trying to understand what these new heavens and new earth are going to be like. The present earth will be destroyed, according to 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? And as I said, there will be new heavens and new earth. But according to his promise, We are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So again, well, what is this new heaven and new earth like? What is that which is going to be destroyed, replaced with? That helps us understand what then our future existence is going to be like. What is it going to mean for us to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth? What will that experience Be like. Well, let's look at Romans. The creations of the new heaven and new earth are restoration of this present earth the way that our resurrection bodies 
or a restoration of our present earthly bodies. Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. If we can get a better handle on the resurrected body, we will get a better handle on the new heavens and new earth, for they coincide. It is the same redemptive, creative work of God. When we talk about the new heavens and new earth being a new creation, we are not to understand that as something that is holy and entirely different from the creation that we are now experiencing, the creation that we are presently enjoying. If you remember last week when we talked about the resurrection body, one of the things that's important to realize is that when our bodies are resurrected, it is the body that is in the tomb or the grave or the ground or the casket or whatever you want to refer to it, that body is the body that's going to be resurrected. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the great promise, the great hope, the great expectation of Easter is that he came forth bodily from the tomb. The body that was in the tomb was the body that was out of the tomb. And he even invited the disciples to place the their hands and the nail print of his, his hands and the wound of his side. It was the body in the grave, out of the grave. The great hope of 1 Corinthians 15 is that we'll be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, for the dead in Christ will rise. And Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15 asks the question, what body do they come with? And that's why we looked at that last week. What body do they come with? Well, it's the same body that's in the grave that is out of the grave. And it matters not. It matters not that that body was destroyed. People that have been dead for a long time, their body has been destroyed. It deteriorates. It rots. There have been bodies that have been blown up in World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. There have been bodies that have been disintegrated. There have been bodies in 9-11 that went up in flames in a great inferno. Those people couldn't be discovered. Their remains could not be reconstituted. They couldn't have a viewing. Their bodies were destroyed. There are those who actually choose to be cremated. And they literally are nothing but ashes in an urn. The body has been destroyed. But that body, though it's been destroyed, that body, though it has been burned, that body, though it's been consumed entirely, is going to be reconstituted. And come forth from the grave. That body 
will be resurrected in a new creation. And so we read such language in 1 Corinthians. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's the exact same language that's used in Isaiah for all of creation. Yes, it will be destroyed. But it will be reconstituted. And it will be reconstituted exactly like this present earth, except free from all the curse and corruption of sin. It will be restored, it will be reconstituted in that perfect state in which it was originally created. And even better. So the new heavens and new earth are like these heavens. And this earth, even as our resurrected body, is like our present body. With some differences. I'll talk about some of those in weeks to come. But the thought tonight is that we look forward to this great restoration of this earth. And though it be destroyed, it will be reconstituted. And we will dwell in the presence of God forever in physical bodies, living lives that are very, very similar to the lives that we live now, except free from the frustration of sin, free from the curse. The closest thing that we can imagine is like Eden before the fall. Adam worked, Adam tilled, but he had joy, he had delight, he had no frustration. It was perfect. It will be a life much like this life, but perfect, free from sin, and enjoying the immediate presence of God forever and ever. We're not just floating around on clouds somewhere. We're not just in a habitual, continual church service for all eternity. We're actually living lives very, very similar to the lives that we're presently living. But, but, without the curse of sin. So conclusion, A. The effects of the work of Christ's redemption is applied to all of creation. All of creation. Can I be so bold tonight to ask you to think anew and afresh about John 3.16? For God so loved the world. And that most commonly is viewed as the world of mankind. And then people argue about, well, is that everybody or is that just the elect or, or whatever? I think that discussion is far too limited. God so loved his creation that he gave his only begotten son. God redeemed his creation. That's what this says in Romans 8. He redeemed his creation. And he made that possible through the work of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ's death, that curse wouldn't be removed. And that curse is removed for creation. Secondly, 
All the effects of the curse due to mankind's sin will be removed from creation. There will be, be no tint of it any longer. All of creation will be made new as a result of Christ's redemptive work. It will be resurrected, it will be restored, if you will. D, all of creation waits in anticipation of being delivered from the effects of the curse of sin and being set free in righteousness. If we can get a hold of this idea that the earth is still under its curse, because that's pretty easy to get a hold of, I think. It's easy to see that thorns are still here, thistles are still here. It's, it's very helpful for us to understand how today, even though we are children of God, we are still struggling under the curse. It explains why we still get sick. It explains why we still get frustrated. It explains why we have difficulty at work. It explains why husbands and wives tangle and argue. It explains why there's strife and division in the church. Because we are still affected by this fallen, sinful state in which we are. Using the analogy, just as creation is polluted, our lives are polluted. We are polluted. We, like the earth, are bringing forth thorns and thistles. And our works and our endeavors are being frustrated to no end. For it is impossible for us to achieve the purpose for which we have been originally created. Until the effects of sin are entirely removed. And so we groan, we long, we suffer. Those are the words to depict what life is like under the curse. We groan, we suffer, we agonize. And like creation, we ought to be on tiptoes, looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Book of Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus. E, we must see ourselves in the overall picture of the redemption of creation. We can learn a lot about our present condition and our future condition as we think about the present condition condition of this earth and the future condition of this earth. Tonight we're going to close with a hymn. And we're going to close with what is my favorite hymn. It's always...